Do you aspire to become a responsible leader? How do you see yourself now as a young man? Learning from challenges is one thing, but getting opportunities is another. If you're a young man who wants to learn about personal growth, life lessons, and leadership, tune in to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. What is happening, sir? How are you, Great to be here. Thank you, Matt. I apologize for my tardiness. No worries, sir. It is good to see you, man. And it's uh it's so fun, dude. It's so fun to see. So, like just to, I want to give background to everybody here too. And this is gonna go out on the um on the podcast too. And I've had the pleasure of having Jack on the podcast. Here's what's fun. So, as a lifelong educator, it's so cool seeing you get to see the process of these people growing into you know all the things they become and all the things they do, right? So Jack and I first connected. I was going back. I was trying to look at the date. I, I want to say you were like 10, maybe. Yeah, right? around that, if not earlier, yeah. Yeah, I want to say maybe, maybe like 9 or 10. And you guys, I was given a keynote for an organization, great organization that goes into schools called Project Lead the Way. And this was their annual event. And so uh, we were in Orlando, Florida, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And... From what I remember, there was a couple thousand people in the audience, um, which is fun. And I always like doing the big live. So I'm doing a big keynote here for a couple thousand people. And I get to meet this young man who is also speaking to that same giant crowd at like nine or 10 years of age. Right. And not only is he speaking to them, he's inspiring them and he crushes the entire thing because he's speaking about what he's, you know, what he's been building. And then we get to connect a few years after we get to be on the podcast together. Jack was kind enough to um, come in satellite in and speak to some of the kids at the first campus that I ever built. Right. And now I'm sitting here looking at this guy who just jumps on and I'm looking at a man right here. How are you? Six, 16 now? 17. 17. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's wild, man. So it's just so fun, man. So man, great. It is great to see you. It's wonderful to be here. It's great to see you again. And uh, yeah, and I'm just excited to share my story and and all that. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. And that's what we're going to do. So what we'll do is you and I'll chat for a few minutes and I want to give them kind of the overview of, you know, kind of how you got started, but get into like what you're doing now as well. Um, And then for the last, you know, 30 minutes of it or so, I'll be quiet and we'll just take questions, whether it's from the parents or from the heroes and um, just have an inspiring, just a fun conversation together. And then, and we'll, we'll run that as the podcast too. So does that sound okay? Sounds great. Beautiful. So if we could do it, I know you've gotten to do your, you know, kind of your origin story a million times on a million different things, but if you could tell these parents and these young heroes your journey into that early stage into entrepreneurship. I want to go with that journey in first before we get to what you're building now and and what your day looks like now. But let's start there if you don't mind. Absolutely. Uh, So my, my whole entrepreneurial journey, it started when I was eight years old. And like any eight year old, I like toys and I wanted what was called the Lego Star Wars Death Star. And uh, it cost, it was a $400 Lego. And, you know, I, I've been asking my dad for Legos for my entire life, right? Birthdays and all that. So I was like, Hey, can I get this? Uh, and he said, I could, but this time he approached it differently. He said, you can get the Lego, but you're going to have to pay for it. And, you know, as an eight-year-old, I hadn't had any experience paying for anything on my own, you know, uh, entrepreneurship was a world that I hadn't 
even thought I could participate in. But I was like, okay, uh, I want to make $400. How am I going to do that? And with me and my friends, like in, in years past, we had set up little lemonade stands in our neighborhoods to, you know, make $20, $30. Uh, but I knew that uh, maybe I could take that idea. Uh, I couldn't do it in the neighborhoods because I wouldn't be making enough money. I, I knew that I had to kind of structure it differently. So uh, working with my dad, I was able to bring it to my local farmer's market and set up a lemonade stand there where I sold lemonade and iced tea. And that was a whole learning experience because we had to um, uh, get our business license, make sure we complied with all the health permits. But it was very fascinating to me because, like I said, this was a uh, world that I had no experience in. And looking at it, it felt like I could never do anything like that. So once I was able to do something like that, it really motivated me. So that first summer, I set up my lemonade stand and handed up, uh, it was about 12 weeks at the farmer's market and I uh, made $2,000 in revenue and after expenses made $900 in profit and, and I got my Lego set. And that was kind of the origin of how I started my first business and what started me on this journey. That's so rad. Oh, it's so rad. So you, I love that. You'll have to, uh, you're, you're going to have to pay for it. Does that mentality still stick by the way? Is that still kind of oh, going on? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would, yeah. I would imagine. Have you done, and have you bought a car yet? I haven't. No, no. Um, I, where I'm going to college, I don't really need a car. And okay. I, um, so yeah. Okay. All right. Just checking. So <laughs> I love, I love that mentality. And I've gotten to talk to your dad a handful of times too. And I love that, um, you know, the, the values that, that he's instilled in there. And it's, uh, it's very much in line with, you know, the values of, of all the people that are on here and all the values of really the, the people that listen around the world to, to this show too. So, uh, you have this amazing experience and, and one of the things I love because I've gotten the experience to see young heroes have these kind of experiences. We were just talking to Brooks on the show about doing, you know, his recycling business and what they've created and, and, and uh, all the campuses that I built, we do these annual business fairs and I see people light up these young heroes when they're making a thousand dollars in a weekend and they're just going, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. But one of the conversations we need to have is okay, great. Why don't you keep going? And most people, most young people are looking at going, oh my gosh, that was really, really cool. Maybe I'll do that again sometime. You went, oh, I'm doing it again. And I'm <laughs> going to do it like right now, right? So how did you go from that one uh, farmer's market going, okay, let's let's start putting some gas into this? Yeah, so after my first year, that was that that really was a revolutionary experience for me. Yeah. I learned so much about entrepreneurship, business, and really going into the details and the minutia of all of the legalities of it. You know, obviously, uh, as an adult, that might be boring or whatever. But to me and my eight year old self, it was fascinating because, again, this was something that I had never experienced before. And being able to be a part of that process felt really empowering. And my ultimate goal at that point was like, okay, I felt this, this was an amazing experience for myself. How can I provide this to other kids? Because I know just how much 12 weeks has benefited me. So can I maybe make this a replicable model in several locations to spread this entrepreneurship, youth entrepreneurship, business, financial literacy um, experiences. And so that's what I ended up doing after my first year. Uh, I created my uh, own website, jackstands.com, and essentially 
families and kids could sign up for a date in a location to operate a stand. And kids would come in, uh, you know, shy, not really knowing what they're getting into, but I would teach them how to um, greet and serve the customer, how to make change, how to take credit cards, how to track their sales and their money, and just the ins and outs of running the stand. And then at the end of the day, we'd run through a mini profit and loss statement to figure out like the revenue, expenses, profit, and tips. And I would really see just how each um, uh, kid would, would come in and they would, I would see personal growth just within that four hours because yeah. interacting with other customers, making just making one sale, it, it really does do something um, in terms of empowerment and um, realization that this is something I can do. And for me, that's what served as my main motivation uh, throughout my, my entire entrepreneurial journey. That's what kept me going was finding and curating these unique experiences, not only for myself, but for others. For other people. So rad. So where were you finding these young heroes to, to teach? And it says, so you just, you know, you're just talking about four hours. I'm assuming you're teaching them, you were teaching them at some sort of live event and then giving the materials to, to go forward. Is that, was that kind of the, the, well, so the, that, that, those four hours are live operating in a farmer's market. So they would come to the actual farmer's market. I would teach them for like 15 to 30 minutes uh, beforehand. And then I would, I would leave them operate the stand for the four hours. I, um, we, we had, I believe four locations in our, in our second year. So I would go to each location, make sure all the stands were up and running, make sure each stand had enough lemonade, iced tea. And then at the end, I would go back to each stand and then check them out with, uh, like I said, the profit and loss. Got it. Beautiful. So where, where were you finding these young heroes? Was it just people you knew in the neighborhood, people at school? Were you doing any sort of outreach, any sort of marketing? Where were you finding these people? Yeah. So we did some, we, we um, did some marketing and it, it, when, when these opportunities, what I discovered was that when these opportunities are made available, there are a lot of kids and a lot of parents who want these experiences, these yeah. unique experiences, they're just not offered. So you don't really see that demand because there's no place really offering that. So we uh, did um, like an interview with one of my local papers, a uh, local news station. And from there, we really got a lot of requests and submissions to operate stands. And uh, and that was one of my main concerns going into operating the stands was, are there even going to be enough kids who want to do this? But after not even an insane amount of media outreach, we, it, it, it came self, it became self-sustaining. Yeah. So. How cool, man. Okay. So you've got that rocking and rolling. How did Shark Tank come to be from there? Was that your idea, dad's idea, somebody else's idea? How did that whole process go? Cause it wasn't too long thereafter that you ended up being on that show. Yeah, so that, that's a funny story. Um, and to give some context, I'll talk about the second part of my first business. So Jack Stands for the first two years sold just lemonade and iced tea at, at the locations. But in the third year, and this is when I'm 10, I, I was looking around, uh, we had four locations and we were getting a lot of foot traffic. And I said, okay, I love selling lemonade and iced tea. You know, that's that's the core of it. But I feel like there's something more we could be doing and capitalizing off of this, um, off of this foot traffic. So at that point, um, I had gone to know some other young entrepreneurs through different young entrepreneur spaces. And I said, hey, 
why, why don't uh, you sell your products at my stands and we can create a little mini marketplace that sells other young entrepreneurs products and a lot of them said yes so uh that is when i created jack's marketplaces of jack stands and marketplaces where i sold other young entrepreneurs products and told their inspirational stories uh and those marketplaces were operated just like this like the stands were so um that's when i started to really work with other young entrepreneurs and uh in, in terms of shark tank i was invited to be on the today show uh when I was 10, uh, after I had started the marketplaces. So we went out to New York, we, we drove the stand out, we had it in, in Rockefeller Plaza. That was a great experience. And while we were out there, we met with one of the young entrepreneurs whose product I was selling, uh, Ryan of Rise Referee. And he had actually been on Shark Tank himself. And just by sheer coincidence, uh, the night that we were meeting them, they told us that the next day, there was an open audition for Shark Tank in Manhattan. So we had no idea that this was even a possibility. We had no planning. Um, and I mean, I'll admit that myself, when when she said that, I was like, okay, that's cool and all, but there, there's no way. We, right. we, we don't, I don't have a pitch. I don't have any preparation for that. So uh, we went to bed and <laughs> overnight, my dad, he, he, he got online, he filled out all the paperwork. And then when uh, we woke up, um, we were like, okay, let's do this. So um, we went to the open audition. We, uh, the, the it was a huge open audition in Manhattan, as you'd expect. Uh, we, we went on like an hour lunch, wrote down my pitch on like a little piece of paper, pitched. And then um, eventually, like three months after that, we got a call back. Um, and then the whole, the whole process was very, uh, there was a lot of paperwork, phone calls, video calls. But eventually in the September of that year, we flew out to LA, filmed, and the episode was released in November. So rad, man. How did you feel when dad's like, oh, no, we're going, we're going and you're going to be pitching now. Did you do the pitch by yourself? Was it you and dad? How, how did you feel on that? Yeah, so um, I wasn't surprised when my dad kind of pushed me in that direction. It, it was, you know, instinctual for for a 10 year old, you know, oh, I have no planning. This is such a huge thing. I can't really do that, you know, um, but I'm really glad that he showed me that, you know, when opportunities like that come your way, you got to make the best of it and, and um, take that opportunity. So, uh, so he, he definitely guided me, I'll say along that path. Um, but uh, yeah, and sorry, what was the second part of your question? Oh, that, that was, no, that's really, I was just kind of like, how did you, did you do the pitch yourself and how did you feel? Oh, yeah. 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 So I, I pitched entirely by myself. My dad was just in the corner corner being my chaperone, but um, yeah, so it was entirely on me. Yeah. So, so rad. So then walk us through, if you don't mind, um, kind of what you ended up doing next, as far as, as far as Jack stands and marketplaces, is that something you're still, you know, is there still operation or did you have a life cycle on that? And I'd love to know about, uh, I'd love for these guys to know about teen hustle, as well and what you're building there and and how speaking ended up kind of happening in the midst there because gentlemen ladies and gents when i'm talking about uh this gentleman being a good speaker he's a phenomenal speaker uh i watched him crush it as a young person in front of two thousand people but he's gone on to do ted talks uh you know and a number of other big events i mean this man is an accomplished speaker at 17 years of age too so yeah jack stands and, and teen hustle and how the speaking is kind of woven in there if you don't mind yeah absolutely uh so after shark tank that's really when we got some momentum so i'll just 
speaking of Shark Tank, I did get a deal with with uh, one of the sharks. And uh, but I, I'd say the biggest thing that came out of that was really the um, the exposure and that that because, you know, you get on Shark Tank, millions of people are watching. Uh, so uh, I, we were able to kind of leverage that. And uh, for the three years after Shark Tank, we not only had the stands and marketplaces at the farmer's markets over the summer, but we were able to expand into three malls in the Denver metro area um, over the holiday season. And that's when our marketplaces were the big sellers. Uh, so that, that that was great. So after we did that for three years. And then after that, uh, I'm 13, 14 at this point, and I'm entering high school. And I had had so much success and um, with Jack stands and marketplaces, but I kind of wanted to shift my focus over to a new venture uh, because I'd, I'd worked on Jack stands for so long. And I kind of, and the age group that I had been working with was like seven to 12 years old. But as I was becoming a teenager myself, I wanted something more um, that would appeal more to teenagers. And uh, that's when I started doing some research. And I discovered that decades ago, millions of teenagers had their own small business through the classic paper route, right? Um, picking up uh, your, your papers, got to pay the newspaper stand, managing your customers, managing your route. It really taught those values. But I mean, you look around today and those opportunities, they no longer exist. Or um, just those small, whether it is the paper route or other small business opportunities that teens had. So my goal with my new venture was to bring that back, but updated for the gig economy. And that's what we did. That's what I did through Teen Hustle, which is a last mile delivery service. And I, I can go into that uh, a little bit later, but um, in terms of the speaking, the speaking started um, primarily after Shark Tank as well. And it, it really, it was, it was all organic growth. So the, I, re I remember this one school local to us, I believe, reached out and said, hey, we want you to come speak to two kids uh, and share your story. And we, we had had no planning or, or, you know, no preparation in terms of, OK, let's start speaking to schools. But, you know, we thought it was a great opportunity. And so we did. And that's when I really found another large passion of mine, because what had kept me motivated throughout this entire process was sharing these opportunities with other kids and even being able to do that through just sharing the story. Because I know personally how empowering it is to look up on stage and see someone else who is the same age as you. Because, I mean, you look and you see adults talking about business, entrepreneurship, starting your own thing. There's a sense of removal. But when you see someone who's the same age as you, it, it, it's definitely a, a whole different experience. So from there, I realized that, you know, I liked public speaking. I loved sharing my story with these kids and I saw the impact that it was having. So we continued that. And over probably the five years after that, I ended up spoken, speaking to tens of thousands of students across the nation uh, and even internationally. And um, I, in, in that time period, gave two TEDx talks, which, which was great. And something that came out of that which I, I think is just a testament to when you take advantage of opportunities, you'll never know where it leads. Uh, I actually hosted the first TEDx youth event that was open to all uh, high school students in Colorado at my high school. Uh, that was last year. So um, yeah, so speaking has kind of been ingrained throughout my, my journey and it really came, it really came naturally. Yeah, so rad, man. So, and I hope, you know, for all the heroes on here and everybody listening on the, you know, on the podcast, who I hope, I hope what you're hearing, you know, I, they, you guys hear me say fire aim ready all the time. And what you're hearing from Jack is that exact thing, right? He's taking a look going, all right, I'm going to dive into this 
and then something comes out of it. I'm going to dive into uh, solving this small problem is going to create this solution of I'm going to create this stand. And then that ends up creating this, this business. It wasn't, I'm going to sit down and plan out this perfect business plan and this perfect opportunity. And I'm going to overthink it and I'm going to over plan for it. He started first and then saw what could be made of it and, and then went for it, right? I'm not going to sit down and we're going to think through this whole Shark Tank thing. And we're really going to, nope, did it. The speaking, oh, did it. Oh, hey, by the way. I enjoy it. I love it. There's opportunity here, right? It was fire aim ready. That is the way the best stuff happens, period, end of story. Um, I absolutely love that, man. Um, I do want to go into, so here's what I'm going to do. For those of you guys that are live on the call, if you, and this is parents or young heroes, if you have a specific question that you'd like to ask, I'd love for you guys to start putting your hands up. I have one or two more um, that I want to specifically ask as you're getting those up. Uh, but go ahead and start putting those up as they start coming top of mind so that I can get ready to call on you guys. Um, as So Teen Hustle, I love the origin story of that. And I, and I think it's brilliant. So what does that look like for you specifically right now? Meaning, um, you know, I, I think you started out doing some of your own routes. Do you still do that? Or are you more on the end of just helping other young entrepreneurs to do that right now? Yeah, so right now with Teen Hustle, we have two locations in Colorado that we're, we're developing. And initially I, I was, and I, I still do deliveries and routes and door-to-door -door marketing and all of the nitty gritty kind of um, uh, uh, procedures. But um, now we have about 16 hustlers who are working with in each location. So I've been able to kind of delegate that to, to them to kind of handle that and I can focus on big picture. And so I, in terms of what Teen Hustle is specifically. So Teen Hustle has had a lot of pivots over the years. And I think, it, so we started out initially as a food delivery service, just like uh, Last Mile DoorDash or Uber Eats. Um, but all delivered by teenagers on electric scooters and personal bikes within your neighborhood. So we would uh, scout a location with like uh, a little, not a mall, but like a plaza complex that would have certain, uh, like a grocery store and then some uh, restaurants, and then it'd be surrounded by a neighborhood. And that would be our location where we would deliver food from those um, restaurants to the surrounding neighborhoods. And we ran into complications with that because essentially food is a time delivery, right? So um, having teens deliver that, you get into some legal complexity. So from there, we kind of we we were seeing the rise of delivery. And I keep keep in mind, this is this is COVID time. So uh, we started just a little bit before COVID, but um, and we focused on food delivery through the, the, the first probably worst years of COVID because at that point we were trying to capitalize off of these restaurants. Nobody's coming into their restaurant, right? So we can kind of offer a delivery solution that could hopefully help restaurants um, man manage that. Yeah. Uh, but as we you know ran into some of these complexities, uh, we pivoted towards package delivery and specifically Amazon package delivery from Amazon lockers. Uh, and from there, we kind of made a small pivot to what we do today, which is Amazon package returns and neighbor to neighbor delivery. So essentially with Amazon package returns, um, no one is offering the return of those packages. And there's like 8 billion Amazon packages ordered every year. And about 20% of those are returned. 
So it's a huge number of, of returns that no one is really offering a service for right now. And so what we can do is base our locations around Amazon lockers, or as some of you might know, there's Kohl's locations and Whole Foods locations where you can return your Amazon package. So we can base our locations around that and uh, also integrate our second service, which is neighbor to neighbor delivery through um, platforms like Nextdoor. So not sure how many of you guys are familiar with nextdoor.com. It's huge neighbor to neighbor app. About a third of American households are on it, um, almost all neighborhoods. So it's it's a huge app. And um, uh, essentially, they have a marketplace feature where uh, neighbors can put up their no longer wanted items to sell to other neighbors. It's a very janky system, and there's no real payment mechanism or delivery. It's just like, hey, come over to my house whenever. And uh so we kind of insert ourselves to offer a payment mechanism and delivery uh, within those neighborhoods. And what's perfect about it is it is neighbor to neighbor in certain neighborhoods. So it's not like we're going to have to rent a car to go 30 minutes to another neighbor. It's within neighborhoods. So that really works as a replicable model that we can send across the country and help us. That's that's kind of our line of entry in terms of establishing new locations. Got it. That makes sense. So let's so let's say so we even have a couple of heroes here that are a part of the Apogee Strong Young Men's Program um, as well. So I got young men that are you know between twelve and and eighteen, nineteen, um, from from quite literally around the world that we meet with every single week as well. So let's say one of these young men hears this, or somebody on the podcast hears it, or one of these heroes that is with us today. So they hear this and they're like, "Oof, okay." I would be interested in jumping in and, and learning more uh, about that teen hustle. Like what would that, what would that onboarding process look like? I'm imagining they need to be within a certain, they need to be in a certain location. Um, I imagine that that's part of it, but what else are they going to need to do to get involved in that? How would that look? So first would just be to fill out our application process on our website, teen hustle uh, without the E.com. And, um, it, so essentially just fill out that application process. And of course, uh, we're in the initial development of, of sending locations uh, state or nationwide. And uh, so we're going to have to scout the location, make sure that it's it's got all of the criteria, like maybe an Amazon locker or um, a certain, you know, just making sure that the logistics of it work. And then from there, we would be able to work with you to get you the materials that you need, whether that's the delivery backpack, or um, if you don't have a bike, or um, making sure you have all the software on your phone, uh, the vests, stuff like that. So we would send you all that material. And then kind of uh, like I said, with the point of entry would be the nextdoor.com where we would have you or your parents or conjunction create a nextdoor.com account. And then you can use that as your own advertising mechanism because a lot, like I said, a lot of households are on Nextdoor. And not, so while you're offering the service, you also get the word about Teen Hustle and its and its services out. So the, the first step would be to apply. And what what's crazy uh, is we we just put ourselves up on like Jazz HR and we've been receiving applications across the country. Like uh, we've gotten like thirty applications this year, and this has just been such a learning experience for me because it shows me just how many kids would love an opportunity like this. So, um, but yeah, so to answer the question, first would just be to apply, and then we would work with you to set up the logistical um, know how of operating. Ah, uh, so rad. Okay, so. 
as you're moving forward, because, you know, when I say like the what's next kind of question, you mentioned college, right? So you mentioned that that's on the horizon where you're going to go. So I'm interested what these next few years look like for you. It sounds like you're going to be going to college. I don't know if you're staying close. Are you staying close? Or are you going further? And are you going to be operating this while you're in college? What are you going for? Like, give us the give us the overview of these next few years for you. Yeah. Uh, so recently I just committed to Dartmouth, which is in, yeah, yeah uh, yeah. it's in uh, Hanover, New Hampshire. So it's yeah. all the way Northeast removed from Colorado. And so that's definitely been a part of our thinking is kind of setting up a succession plan because I'm not going to be able to be as hands-on with the locations that we do have. Uh, but, uh, and that's what we've kind of been trying to do is curate our team around that and set up people who, currently operate, uh, who could operate as I do right now. And, uh, but the thing is, I'm still going to 100% remain involved. I really want to, excuse me, I really want to take teen hustle as far as it can go, even yeah. in college. Um, so that, that, that's the, the, the plan. It's still kind of, you know, this is a whole learning experience for me moving sure. away to such a far place is, is going to be, um, something new that I've never experienced. Uh, but what I'm also hoping to do at Dartmouth is leverage the resources there uh, that I can use towards Teen Hustle. They have a center for entrepreneurship. So, uh, you know, as with, comes with the cons, there's also pros of me kind of finding new connections and ways to help Teen Hustle. This is so rad. So is that what you're going you're gonna to go through kind of that entrepreneurship path out there at Dartmouth? Uh, yeah, I definitely want to engage in entrepreneurship out there. Uh, what was kind of interesting is in the sophomore year of high school, uh, I out of out of the blue, I found that I have a passion for physics, uh, which really just came out of left field because my whole passion has been and journey has been entrepreneurship. Um, but so I'm what I'm thinking of is focusing on physics and entrepreneurship out there. And, you know, it's something I've had to grapple with myself is how does physics relate anything to the business entrepreneurship that I've, that I've learned so far. And really what I've come to recognize is that entrepreneurship, it's, it's more of a mindset and yes, you see it most directly applied to business. That's where you see it most prevalently and with the, the biggest businesses, but it really can be applied to whatever field that I find myself in. So um, through and when I come out of college, I definitely see those two kind of reuniting. I, I, I don't know if you even have an idea of how profound a, a thing you just said. And, and I, my sense is knowing you that you that you do have some sort of idea and you do have the experience that you're speaking from. But, you know, one of the questions that I've gotten for many, many years is, well, you know, you run all your schools, you have all these programs and everything is, you always have this entrepreneurship bent. And that's great, but not everybody should be an entrepreneur. And I agree with that. But the process of being an entrepreneur and diving into entrepreneurial ventures is exactly what you just said. There is a mindset that is earned through that experience that translates into so many other things. And it's a mindset that you can't quite earn any other way. There's parallels, right? There's some things that are familiar um, and there's things that are similar, but man, doing it, it just, it transcends anything else and it applies to so many other areas of life. And I think you will find that, you know, you'll find the places where that connects with the other areas of interest in physics. I, I have no doubt you'll be able to do whatever you want in that regard. Absolutely. No, entrepreneurship is, 
is integral to life and and you know pushing yourself and achieving things i mean the mindset of an entrepreneur really is i mean it's you look around today and it's it's what's created almost everything around us and so that's true. what it will continue to do so. so true holy cow okay so where did so hey and parents go ahead even parents even if your heroes don't have questions yet you guys kick it off man if you guys have questions we got an amazing young man here i want you guys to ask those questions too because i will monopolize the entire time um, and you guys know that for a fact so you guys throw some stuff out there too but here so i'm looking at it from a dad standpoint too where do you find other young heroes that you connect with and what i mean by that is you're an extraordinarily outgoing person. You're a very kind person. Making friends for you is not going to be a hard thing, right? And you're in school. I'm sure you have a ton of friends in school. Connection sometimes is a different deal, right? So um, I know enough about, and I've gotten to work with enough young people for a long enough time to know that at 17, not everybody is as focused and as driven and far from as experienced and far from having the same kind of vision that you do at 17. So how does that play out for you socially? Do you find yourself gravitating towards older? Do you kind of separate the two? Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah, so in my personal and social and school life, uh, my business and my experience and my entrepreneurial journey has been extremely detached. with I, I have uh, with my group of friends, I hardly ever speak about what I do or any new things, and it's it's mostly because th- there are different type of people with different upbringings, but not everyone is as interested or as um, kind of in the same wavelength as as you. I'll, I'll say that. Um, so that's that's kind of been my experience. It's just it's been completely detached. But something that I, I did recently, I was recognized as an emerging visionary from Prudential, and they invited 25 other um, great young um, change makers out to um, uh, New York City, and I was able to meet 25 other just phenomenal kids who were engaged and wanted to learn about what you were doing and uh, and that that for me really kind of was um such a unique experience because before i really hadn't had that exposure to others who were just as engaged and um kind of groundbreaking as as, as i had been and that's that's something i took away is you know this road it can be kind of isolating not yeah. everyone is going to get what you're doing or is going to be as engaged as you might like them to be but when you do find those people who are and who love what you're doing and who have their own passions and projects you will gravitate towards them and you will make connections that really will last a lifetime and i think that also just normally when you don't have those opportunities those who are kind of more engaged and have those passions tend to gravitate to others who also have that yeah, 100%. And again, so much, there's a lot of adult wisdom that has been earned in a, in a young life right here, you guys, the ability to understand from a grand scale, you will ultimately attract the people that are like minded, and you guys will, especially as you do more, and you flow into that putting in the work into the passions, you will find those other people. And we live in a, in a beautiful time now when yeah, there are there downsides to being so dang connected you know, to everybody and you have the, are there the comparison issues and all that? Of course that stuff happens. I I was talking to a guy this morning and he's like, 
you might be, you might find out that you're the one millionth fastest runner on the planet. And that sounds awful because you're so connected that you're like, dude, I'm in one millionth place. But if you really think about it in terms of 8 billion people, you're in the top 1% of 1% of 1%, like you're wicked fast, right? He's like, but we get this skewed pers perspective because we're, you know, there's that. So there's the downsides, but there's also the upside of, man, I can connect to those people. You're going to be able, you're going to do that because you're going to get invited to things like this, right? And you're going to find, you're going to make those connections with people at these events that it's going to, like you said, they're going to be lifelong connections, uh, and that's huge. And another thing you said, the ability to separate and understand you can have a friend group that there's going to be just a different uh, relationship with that experience. And you can separate that. And look, our friendship isn't going to necessarily be about that. Uh, and that in and of itself is a superpower. It is a mindset. And it's another mindset that actually gets honed through entrepreneurship too. So a lot of wisdom on that, my friend, um, truly. Kai put a question in the uh, in the box there. Kai says, what's your schooling journey looked like so far for you? Yeah, so for me, balancing school and business has kind of come naturally uh, in the formation. So in the formation of Jack Stands and Marketplaces, the bulk of the work fell when the farmer's market operated uh, during the summers when I was off of school and over the holiday season when I had winter break to kind of cushion that. So that's kind of how I had to design that is also for other kids who wanted to operate that, you know, taking off days of school isn't really feasible. I did take off more school than was normal, but um, I had to, I, I was able to kind of manage that. But well, in, in, in terms of my schooling journey, I, I've been, uh, I've been fortunate to go to schools that they, they supported me. They, they didn't actively become a detriment to me. I'll, I'll sure. say that, you know, uh, they weren't getting on my case when I would miss school to go uh, speak at another school or anything like that. Um, but, and I, I've always felt it important to focus on school just as much as entrepreneurship uh, for me, because I, I felt like the values that you get from just being a good student and school are also just as important, whether they're just discipline, um, hard, hard work, all, all of that. Um, and through my, so through my high school journey, I, I found my interest in physics and I pursued that up to the college level. I took a few classes at the University of Colorado Boulder. Um, I'm graduating valedictorian this year of my high school. Um, so for me, school has really been a big part of, 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 of my life just as much as business has. And I think that uh, even if you have these entrepreneurial experiences, schooling is still very important, at least to the high school level. If you're fully, if you have a lot of experience in entrepreneurship, it's debatable whether you need to get like a MBA in college. I think that's, that, that's a question you can have, but I, I, school has just been a big part of, of my journey. Good for you, man. Congratulations on the valedictorian and all that too. And what was it like the application? And I see Carpenter Kids. I see your question in there too. So I'm going to grab that in just a sec. Um, the the application process to Dartmouth. Um, what was that like? Did you go kind of a just was it a traditional route, hand in the transcripts and a and an essay about who you are and what you're doing? Would did they have any other um, thing that they were asking? What did that process look like for you this year? 
Yeah, so I applied regular decision to Dartmouth. I applied to, I think, 14 colleges overall. And yeah, so it was it was normal. It was just transcripts, essays. And of course, my essays really described what I had done with my journey, speaking, all of that. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it was a normal, normal application process. Um, I applied to uh, most of the Ivies and some other uh, schools like uh, MIT, Caltech, those schools, uh, I ended up only being accepted to Dartmouth, which was very interesting. And I think that just speaks to the the uber competitive landscape of of college admissions these days. Uh, so that that was that was a unique experience for me because I I didn't really have any expectations of how that was going to play out. But I definitely feel grateful for my for my spot there. <laughs> that's very cool. No, good for you, man. And that's you know, and I know a little bit about that game too. Um, and I got to talk to a student this year who was also a valedictorian who was a four point six who got a perfect score on an SAT and got rejected by every single Ivy League school. And yep. so there's a number of reasons for it, um, and not all of them would be what you would consider fair or right um, or related to any sort of other meritocracy as well. So um, you will you will succeed no matter where you go. And Dartmouth is is great. Have you been out to the campus? I have. Yeah, just uh, on the journey uh, for yeah. the Prudential Emerging Visionaries, we yeah. we swung up to to Hanover and and cool. saw it. Very cool. I'm a I'm a fan, man. I, I love uh, I love that that whole style out there, man. That's a great state too. So, um, Carpenter Kid says, what what have been some of the biggest mistakes that you have personally learned from? Yeah. So when I when I think about mistakes and challenges I faced, my I, I always think of the example with Good Times. So yeah. Good Times is a, a frozen custard and burger chain in Colorado. They have like thirty. 30- patients. And I, I believe when I was like 11, 12 or 13, when I still primarily operated Jack Sands and marketplaces, uh, they reached out to me to actually sell my lemonade in their locations over the summer. And I mean, this was a huge, huge opportunity, something I'd never experienced before, because producing my own lemonade on a commercial level was something I had no exposure to. So I was like, absolutely, I'd love to, I'd love to try this. So, uh, you know, we reached out to a co-packer, uh, got our ingredients, got the recipe, and um, we developed our first batch, uh, first of three batches. And we had some, uh, like, low level executives taste test and they said it was all good. We never were able to get the approval of the higher level executive because um, we were being pushed up against their Memorial Day deadline, um, but their schedule wouldn't allow for us to meet with them to actually get a taste test. Uh, so we went ahead with the, the lower level executives approval and it was uh, sent out to, I want to say five locations just for uh, the like two week pilot. And almost immediately, customers started complaining and returning my lemonade. And th- this came out as a complete shock to me. It turns out my all-natural lemonade recipe was tasted very different than the lemonade Good Times was selling because uh, they weren't selling all-natural lemonade. So there was a big disparity there. And that that was something I hadn't considered and didn't really anticipate. So of course, good times, I had to pull my lemonade and they, they terminated the deal. So that was one of the biggest challenges I I'd say I, I faced. And, um, you know, thinking about it now, there definitely were steps that I could have taken to ensure, uh, that I was appealing to the audience that I was about to start selling my lemonade to instead of, you know, all natural lemonade, you know, it's, it's, it was kind of on brand for me, but definitely could have taken steps to ensure that, um, uh, it, 
to ensure its success in, in a way, but it definitely also taught me a lesson about perseverance because uh, continuing on, I was able to get my stands in the mall. And that was definitely one of the biggest challenges I had faced at that point. But uh, I, I continued on, was able to get my stands in the mall. And then, well, and then another one, and I was waiting for the right time to, to say this, but all of the deals that you see on Shark Tank, they're just handshake deals. Nothing is written in contract. So the deal that I actually got on Shark Tank, it didn't actually close. So I had gotten a $50,000 loan uh, with like 2% interest from Chris Saka. Great deal. Um, afterwards, we repeatedly reached out to him, but he had gone out of venture. He, he left his um, venture capital firm and he had just gone out of investing. And he said he just wanted to give me the public win. And that really just kind of introduced me to the, to the reality of, what is, I mean, Shark Tank is a reality television show. So like we, we, you kind of got to frame your mind in that. Um, but, you know, I, I'm still really grateful for the opportunity. Like I said, the exposure was huge and he did end up giving me the public win. Uh, but those are kind of the, a few challenges I faced that um, I'd say were the, were the largest. Great lessons, man. Great lessons. Yeah. I've got a, um, I got a good friend named Ryan Dewey who uh, invented something called the cold plunge, which is a, a popular sort of term for, you know, these, these home cold tub sort of things. It's like kind of the general term I think that people use now, but his is actually at the plunge, like or plunge or whatever it is. Um, and just had recently was on shark tank. And, and so got to hear some of the behind the scenes on what that quote unquote deal uh, actually meant and actually looked like too. And it's a whole lot different than you see on TV too, but what great, like a great experience. And the reality is whether it was on TV or not, those deals, especially when they are investment deals, um, they are not always exactly as people who have not experienced it believe they are. And that's a, just a great learning experience, right? And on the, um, you know, the experience with the restaurants and going commercial like that, that's a phenomenal thing to get to go through, especially at that age. It's a phenomenal lot. Like, it's not even a loss. That's a phenomenal learning experience. I think that's amazing. How was your mindset when the deal got terminated, because you were resilient enough to get back into the malls and get, I mean, obviously you're still crushing it. So you're fine now, but that initial, like, mm, yeah, we're going to have to cut this. How did you handle that? Well, I, I guess I just tried my best to keep the perspective in my mind that, you know, th this, this was a wonderful, unique opportunity for me personally to kind of try something new and expand the maybe outreach of my my lemonade but um at, at the end of the day my main motivation throughout all of this has been working with other youth and providing those opportunities and the loss of good times it, it hindered that because I had made plans to um to use the funds from that deal to expand uh but I mean, it, I wasn't just going to let it, you know, stop that because at the end of the day, what was most important to me was that it continued for the other, for the other youth and for all of the uh, exposure that I was able to um, create with that. So uh, for me, I, I kind of just tried to keep what was important in my mind. Like, you know, this might not have worked out, but I still have a great thing going on over here that I can still continue forward and continue its great mission. And I think that's what kind of motivated me throughout that experience. So cool, man. Oh, so cool. So I want to put, um, you know, I, I definitely want to put 
and this is great because this the podcast goes out we get six figure downloads usually per episode and it goes out around the world and and um we have subscribers in close to 100 countries at this point which is which is cool so that's that's great exposure wise i want to put teen hustle into um you know i want to let the young men know and and what we do here i want these heroes obviously that um are our home educating from around the globe i want them to um you know, have access to, to dive in. So I'm going to put teen hustle into our little private workplace groups and stuff too, but how do we continue to support you going forward? Uh, you know, us as an organization, us Apogee strong as we're building out what we're doing here, how can we continue to support what you have going on specifically? Well, if there is anyone who is interested in hosting a location of teen hustle, getting that hands-on experience with a startup, 100% apply. I encourage everyone uh, who's interested in that to apply. It's a great experience and you really get to see the nuts and bolts of r running a startup and starting your own location, which I think is extremely valuable. Um, and in terms of anything else, uh, you know, I, any exposure, like I love sharing my story just like this and really interacting with those who are also interested in, in what I have to say and, and my experiences. So I, if any, any other speaking opportunities or anything like that, I would love to uh, dedicate my time and, and to that. Heck yeah. Oh, so rad. Um, as, as we're looking forward at, um, and I said, oh, okay. I see another question from the carpenters too. So I'll grab you guys, but I'm, as we're looking forward at Part of what we're doing is we're getting a, a headquarters for live events too and these are going to be events for for parents for young people and as well as parents and their young people um and so we've got a, a number of events that we want uh to run and in my mind as we do some of these for the young people um i want to to have speakers who are like you said coming at it from a perspective of hey by the way we are the same age and we've got this right. So, I mean, you're as far as I'm concerned, top of the list as far as that goes, man. So, yeah, there's no doubt. And the carpenters said, so who are some of your mentors and heroes you look up to? Love that question. I'd say one of the largest mentors that I've had throughout this whole journey has been my my dad. Uh, he's he's been my biggest supporter. Uh, he's an entrepreneur himself, so a lot of the values that I now have and practice and that entrepreneurial mindset has has largely come as a result of what he's pushed me to do and kind of showed me the way. Uh, so I, I'd say my dad. Um, has been my biggest mentor. I've also worked with other mentors kind of more on the uh, logistical and business sides. Uh, we have a great set of advisors for Teen Hustle that we're working with from the last mile delivery area, former advisors from like UPS, uh, mm -hmm. FedEx, um, Uber, stuff like that. And there's this one great advisor who I've been working with for, for about three years. His name's Alan Amling. And uh, my dad's definitely been more on the personal side of personal development and entrepreneurship for me, but uh, in terms of the business side, a great mentor and advisor who's really helped us shape what Teen Hustle is today is Ben uh, Allen Amling. He's a former executive of UPS. So, yeah. So good, man. Oh, so good. Jack, every time I, you know, I get to talk to people every single week and run all these episodes and it's a whole lot of really, really good human beings. And I always get extraordinarily excited talking to them. And I love hearing stories of people winning. I love um, seeing, you know, good people doing good things to impact other good humans. For me, there's just something special about the fact that, you know, you're 17 and already rocking this man. The sky is absolutely the limit for you. I'm so 
thankful that you and I crossed paths years ago and continue to just, you know, anything I can do to continue to support you, man. Um, gosh, it's a no, it's a done deal, man. It's a no brainer. You, you fire me up, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if we don't have any more questions on here, guys, we're going to let, we're going to let Jack go, but let's give him a big thank you for, uh, for taking the time. You have now taken the step to becoming a great leader of tomorrow. Join the Apogee program by visiting www.apogeestrong.com. For inquiries, contact us 916-728-0606 or email matt at apogeestrong.com. Thank you for listening to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Stay tuned for more episodes.